It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Good morning and welcome to the Beyond Zero radio show, broadcasting from 3CR Studios in Fitzroy. You can stream our podcasts on 3cr.org.au or at the bzd.org.au website. We're talking today with David Webster, who has a Bachelor of Building from Melbourne University, and he's the Managing Director of Webster Power Company. David has, over the years, developed a diverse skill set that includes a deep understanding of the complex issues and risks inherent in large-scale project development. He's also developed commercial acumen in relation to equity investment in large infrastructure projects, along with the management of stakeholders and the ability to identify, review and evaluate appropriate market strategies. One of David's most recent projects, which we are delighted to discuss with him today, is a large-scale behind-the-meter PV solar project he developed in Karratha in Western Australia. During the process, he secured federal grant funding to support the development of new technologies, which if viable, will ensure the development of remote regional projects that are currently uncommercial. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Kay, Michael, Laura. David, just to start with, can you tell us how you first came to work in the renewable energy industry? Kay, it was, it was a little bit by accident. started uh, in this industry as a, uh, basically a junior analyst with a, in, when I was uh, working with the Lend Lease Corporation. We started a business called Lend Lease Infrastructure that was responsible for developing a number of power facilities. We also did other things, but the power is where I actually found my field of endeavour. And I also discovered that when we first got into it, it was all about micro and very small power stations. It wasn't about large-scale stations. We developed three small micro-hydro power stations in New South Wales, country New South Wales, which were irrigation dam hydro stations. They went on to be very successful once we'd been able to commission them because we actually finished construction in the middle of a 10-year drought when the dam's mostly empty, Mm. so we had to wait a few years to be able to commission them. Following on from that, we did a couple of other projects. One was actually to take vented coal seam methane gas from a couple of coal mines in, in New South Wales and convert that to electricity. So we were buying the gas from our friends at BHP, running it through 101 megawatt turbines and putting that electricity back into the gas. So that had an enormous benefit and sustainability benefit for both the use of the waste gas and being able to then produce electricity from it. That was done in joint venture with energy developments who have gone on to do a lot of stuff in that sector. I then went and developed a 30 megawatt hydro power station on the Ord River Dam and that was done with Pacific Hydro and was their first big project. It was a really interesting project because it entailed us having to negotiate with the Mirawong Gadjurong tribe up in uh, northwest uh, in the in northwest Australia in the Kimberley region to build 100 and, 102 kilometres of power lines, um, and the, that power line ran partly one in one direction ran to the township of Kununurra where we turned off eight very large scale diesel fed generators. And then the, in the other direction, it uh, ran to the Argyle Diamond Mine. And that power station's been running for nearly 20 years now. 
and it supplies 100% of the power to the Argyle. And the good thing about that is it's turned off all the diesel generators up there. And there was a funny story behind the township of Kununurra because when we turned the power station on and switched off the diesel generators, the eight diesels stopped and there was no more thumping <laughs> going on. And no one slept that night. <laughs> so the next day everyone was very upset. Uh, but, you know, that's how it goes. Okay. So coming to the, today's specific topic, um, you now have Webster Power Company. What's their role in developing renewable energy projects, in particular the Caratha station? Can you tell us how that came about? Like every company, I believe that you, uh, that they either start from a good business plan or someone comes across a deal or a project and a company is generated behind that. I think I'm probably more of the latter than the <laughs> former. Webster Power Company is was the or is the owner currently of of the project at Carrath, the Caratha Airport. I started the business because I was up in the Pilbara region, and I was amazed at the lack of solar up there, given the kind of um, the sun they have. Sun they have <laughs> up there. You know, I was walking around in forty odd degree heat, going, "My God, it's hot and it's all blue sky." And this happens for nearly every day of the year. So, and as a result, I, I made approaches to the council and started talking to them. Uh, we then started discussing the ability to look at something at the airport and it flowed from there. And that was back in February 2012 was when I had the first discussions with the head of the airport and the head of strategic planning with the then Shire of Roburn, now city of Caratha. Mm -hmm. They've gone over the 20,000 people mark, so they're now a city. And they, had, they took a really brave decision to actually back doing a very large-scale project in solar. They are looking at... It's a very interesting town up there in Caratha. It's, it's like the wild west of Australia, but they have spent a large amount of money taking things forward. And this is another way of showing that they are the gateway to the Pilbara. And as a result, what we've done is, is come up with a solution to provide them with somewhere between 25 and 30% of their base load requirements at the airport. Mm, we're going to be asking you more about that. And how is the project funded? In particular, what's Arena's role in it? The project itself, over its life, had a, a couple of uh, stop-go moments, as most projects do. One of them came when we uh, spoke to the local um, network provider, who's Horizon Power up there, and, I, and I've got to give them thanks too because they have been fundamentally supportive of the project. Horizon have a very specific requirement to maintain stability in their network, and their network is one that's evolved. It's not one that was particularly planned. So it's not what you'd call the most stable network, and there's not a lot of spare capacity in it. So Horizon's a local distributor? Mm, they are. Yeah. And as a result, any new generation that goes on has to be very carefully planned into it. The funding side of it came because Horizon required that we have a, a very good interconnection with their network, albeit that we are not even, we're not actually supplying to that network. Our client, the airport, receives their electricity currently from the network. So to maintain that supply, we had to put a piece of equipment in between us and them. Mm -hmm. And we've come up with a new piece of technology through a group called Empower. And they have, uh, it's that piece of technology that Arena is funding. And it's where I support what Arena is doing. Significant, you know, they're making significant changes in the area of new technology, such that there is a line of sight to the costs coming down and putting these projects together. And if this technology works, and we'll, I presume we'll be talking about it later. Um, this is your cloud predictive this technology. This is the cloud yeah, predictive we've technology. We'll be getting to that. <laughs> if it works, because it still is a new technology, and assuming it does work, it will significantly lower the cost 
to deliver solar solutions to remote Australia on remote grids or in hybrid situations. So as I understand it, it, it doesn't much matter whether you're adding a big load or subtracting a big load. It's, it's when you're going to have those variations in load that the distributor puts these controls on you and says, we need you to ramp this up or down at a slow rate. And your, your new technology is aiming to overcome that at much less cost than batteries and current techniques. Yeah, at the moment we've even what's been proposed and what has been approved to to, be, to and has been signed off by the engineers ready for us and we're about to start building it in the factory is a system <coughs> that will read the clouds as they approach as they approach the solar station and will ramp down the output of the station to meet the technical requirements set by Horizon Power. And, and that's the core of it, that, that there are these rules that, that you ha- can only ramp up or down at a certain rate to be allowed to connect. Yeah, they have a, a very specific ramp down over a period of 720 seconds. Hmm. And to do that, and if all of a sudden we switched our station off, we'd have a large number of batteries there. Hmm. So the whole idea is that through the cloud predictive technology, we can reduce the need for those batteries mm. and, and the amount of those batteries. And at this point in time, we're currently at around about 80% of what would be there otherwise. So long as the technology proves itself up, the next generation will probably see it come down to about 50% of the, te- the battery mm. demand. After that, probably down to about 20 So it'll take a couple of generations to get there. Nothing mm. moves that quickly when it comes to technology. Ultimately, though, the cost of that element, which is the big cost in maintaining stability in systems, because it requires a lot of batteries, will see that go down. Notice Sun Edison's installing system. Who owns the installation? Uh, currently, the whole thing's owned by Caratha Solar Power, which is my business, my, mm-hmm. one of my companies. Sun Edison have stepped in as the equity investor. And so they will take over the company that I created, not Webster Power Company, and that'll still be there, but a little company called Caratha Solar Power Number One Proprietary Limited, and they will own 100% of that. Sun Edison have put a what's known as a wrap and put their balance sheet behind the project by signing up as the engineering, procurement, and construction team and the long term operator and manager of it. Ultimately, what they are doing though is they've passed down those delivery responsibilities to a group out of Western Australia, a local company called CPS National. CPS National have installed a lot of of equipment throughout remote Australia. And the main reason why I chose CPS National a long time ago was as a risk mitigation exercise. They have done a lot of work in remote Australia, which is a key factor for me. And secondly, they've done a lot of work in this area in solar yeah. generation and hybrid. Talking before the show, I know you, you said you can't tell us actual ROI figures, but in as much as you can, can you tell us a little bit about the financing model, uh, the financial models you used, the PPA agreement, the power purchase agreement, and just the, the timelines when you think the project will be running? Sure. The benefits that come out of this <laughs> from purely a financial perspective flow a couple of different ways. One is that the council itself is receiving a discounted tariff. And that's what gives them the financial incentive to, to want to be involved. They've got a whole lot of land out the back of the airport that's unused, and we have taken that and we're paying them some rent on that lease, plus they're getting a discount to their power tariff. So overall, they get that. Tariff pricing from the distributors up in northwest Australia are very high, but it's a long way away and it costs a lot of money to build these things. And for a small population, that means the electric- electricity tariffs are high. 
they are subsidised, but that's okay. We've been able to design and build this thing on the basis of bringing that down. The power purchase agreement is with the city of Karratha, so it's not with the airport itself. The airport is owned by the city, and we have a 21-year power purchase agreement with them and a lease that runs for the same period. Which is to sort of turn the banks love. Well, it is. Fortunately, at the moment, we don't have any banks involved. (laughs) It's all going to be equity funded at the moment. And the reason that is, is that these things are better priced by banks when they've been operating for a while. So that's when some debt might be brought into play. So the power purchase agreement itself provides that discounted tariff. And we're not on a we're not on a must supply basis. We're on a if the power's there, they'll take it up to a certain level. If we go over that level, they might take more. If not, we can actually export that to the grid. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Radio Show. Our guest today is David Webster from Webster Power Company. We're discussing an exciting project David's involved with installing a one megawatt photovoltaic system with cloud predictive technology, a new technology at Karratha Airport. So David I think you mentioned a little bit about it before, but can you explain a little bit more about how Karratha Airport's been powered up until now and what the decision-making process was to, to change that? Karratha currently sits on what's known as the Northwest Integrated System, which is the local, the NWIS, as otherwise known, uh, it's the local network run by Horizon Power, and they get 100% of their power today from that network. In fact, they have just gone through a major upgrade of their facility. They've put in a brand new 33 kV line out to the the main the main uh, Dampier Highway where they uh, uh, draw their power, um, and they have just spent 80 million dollars upgrading the actual airport itself. So their demand will will go up. We have we're going to step in, and yes, we'll reduce some of their demand from the grid which means that some of the, de- sorry, the the gas-fired generators up there will be wound back if there's no other demand in the local area. So it's, a, it's a, um, an interesting project for someone to lock away, and this is going back to your question, Michael, on the, on the PPA, mm-hmm. is that the council has been exposed to some very bumpy rides on their tariffs. They've seen, they've seen increases up to nearly 20% in, on a year Mm. Um, and down to about 6% in other years. And they have really, they can't buy their power with any great certainty. So part of the great uh, benefit to the council is that they have a fixed escalator. So we'll start Mm. at a price, Mm. and every year they know exactly what they're going to be paying for the amount of power that we produce. So their forecasting will become that much better, and their financial controls will become that much better. So... With that in mind, they were able to see that as one of their key benefits as well. So that explains a little bit about the um, the costs and concerns that the council had with regard to the current power supply. Did- yeah, yeah, I think that they are currently undertaking they are currently undertaking a a very deep analysis of all of their energy requirements and their and how that's being played out. And they're asking me to potentially get involved in in looking at some of the solutions for them. And can you tell us anything about the expected savings at the, once the installation's up and running? Oh, look, if you, if you do what's known as net present value analysis of it, they, the number is in the millions of dollars for the council. Okay, so the physical size of this installation, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, uh, there are about 3,500 panels involved, 16,000 square metres of land that we've currently got a lease over. There's also an option available for another 20,000 square metres because the airport will 
develop, it will grow in size and we will continue to hopefully expand with them as they do that. And that was the whole purpose of saying, you know, let's keep a piece of land next to where we're operating available to us and the, and the airport and the council were both very happy to do that. Okay, and physically mounting the panels um, with the increased violence of storms with climate change <laughs> and stuff uh, and 20 years, those panels sitting up there, uh, uh, what allowances you've made for that and what sort of inverter configuration have you got? Uh, it, it's done in strings, so there's, mm-hmm. there's the long lines of panels. And That's the logical configuration, physically. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And interestingly, <laughs> you say uh, uh, the more severe storms, well, we're currently getting... Uh, the highest rated cyclones you can possibly get in the world hit Caratha. Mm-hmm. It is the uh, it is cyclone channel. must be a real challenge for these aerofoils. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically it's just like putting a big wing out there. But uh, effectively what we've done is we've designed and engineered it from the ground up, obviously. It, they're ground mount. There's a frame that's going in. And effectively what you do is you just you double the number of footings and things to hold it to the ground mm-hmm. and uh, to stop the uplift. So, you know... One of the primary concerns for anybody who was in, you know, talking to, I was talking to about this to invest in it was, well, what about the cyclones? And you go, well, Caratha's still standing. It's been there a while. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can engineer these things out. And funnily enough, that's ex- all we've done. Yeah, it's uh, just solar panels of fairly flimsy light things. And uh, Yes and no. Yes and no. They're not, I mean, once they're fixed and fixed properly, mm. the last thing we'd want to do is have one take off and cause damage to any other facility, anything else there, particularly given that we're right on the airport's land. Yes. Um, yeah, but at the same time, that's what they go through every time during the cyclone season. They have to make sure that everything's battened down at the airport. And a bit more about how this um, cloud predictive technology works. How does uh, your site know there's clouds coming? What it has is effectively um, two 40-foot containers that are sitting there with, with all the technology sitting inside them. But... <laughs> They just have SLR cameras with wide-angle lens sitting on top of them mm-hmm. that are taking a photograph every five seconds. And that looks at the, the cloud leading edge and the speed that it's travelling, the opacity of the cloud to see how dense it is. And, it, and through an algorithm, through a computer model, it makes an assessment as to when that cloud is going to actually come over the, over the solar power station. And will as the clouds are approaching, and it's known what kind of... Uh, level of power output we will get to, the project, the the um, inverters or the computer will tell the inverters to start winding back and s- to satisfy that ramp down rate we talked about before. So they do it automatically, mm. and as the as the horizon power network sees that we're winding back, they start winding up and keep the system in balance. So that addresses the uh, fundamental criticism that's that's often made against renewables, particularly solar, where you can go from full to nothing in a very short time with a cloud coming over. The network can cope with that, but it just needs to know in time. It needs time to ramp up, and, and so you're giving it that time with this technique. That's that's really impressive. Can you um, tell us a bit more about the kilowatt-hour differences between the uh, PV plant and the current diesel generation system? Uh, no, gas-fired generation system. Well, effectively, as I was saying before, we, we're going to be providing about 25 to 30%, so they currently do about 4 million uh, megawatt hours a year, mm-hmm. I think it is. So we're going to be providing about a million of those. Yeah, and the actual cost margins, are you providing that at a, a noticeably lower cost than their current cost? In terms of the tariff? Because mm-hmm. that is how they're, they're, we, we will be repaid the cost of the facility and the cost to run it over 20 years through the tariff they pay. 
So we've actually, when we did the pricing and understanding that when you're building anything in the far northwest of Australia, it costs a lot more. Uh, labour costs are more, distance that you've got to get stuff there, or lots of factors involved and the fact that we've got to double the footings on the place because yep. of the cyclones. So the cost, if you actually wanted to compare an east west and uh, east coast and a west coast pricing, you'd say, well, why are you paying so much over there? Reality is, if you strip out all the costs that are either cyclone or distance related, then we're actually cheaper in the installation than uh, the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And that wow. has resulted in us being able to provide the tariff discount to the, uh, to the city of Karratha. Yeah, okay. How are the results of the installation going to be monitored? We have an arrangement as part of ARENA's, uh, our responsibility to ARENA for them providing the grant. We have to uh, set up a knowledge management um, team that's involving the, the contractor, uh, CPS Natural, the guys producing the system, which is uh, Empower, Sun Edison, myself, NPER engineer who's responsible for it, and Arena themselves. And as a result, we have a very specific and stringent reporting requirement against a set of parameters, and we will test to see if the system's working and the, what happens after that and as part of being able to be, to be part of the arena uh, structure is that that information, the output information, becomes available to the market so other people can learn from what we're doing. Sounds really exciting. Really looking forward to seeing the results. What's next for Webster Power or David Webster after this? Well, as soon as you get one off the ground, it's amazing how people come and talk to you. I actually have two or three others where I have been approached, and one of them is with a large department that has a lot of remote facilities in WA. And for me personally, it's to make the business financially viable, but then to be able to deliver very cheap operating cost power to remote Australia. I think it's you know, fundamentally important. And this technology that we've come up with for this project is going to go a long way to assisting that. Ties in very nicely with the um, forthcoming release of the BZE Australian Superpower report too. Yeah, exactly. So when can people read more about your project? This particular project, if one goes to the Arena website, there's a, a lot more in it. I have a website which is currently being developed and, and populated with information at Webster, you know, www.websterpowercompany.com. And then hopefully it'll be future projects as they come online and out of confidentiality. I'll be able to talk more about those as well. Fantastic. Just one more quick question. Has the project started? We're about to, we had our groundbreaking ceremony a couple of weeks ago, but most of what we do is for the first four to five months is actually off-site in factories. <laughs> so, you know, we've got to build the panels, the 40-foot 40, 40 containers and everything else and, and be able to get it to site. So it started, but... Uh, not visibly so. Great project. Sounds really exciting and good luck with it. Thank you very much. On that note, we'd like to wrap up the show and thank you, David Webster, for joining us to explain this project. Looking forward to seeing how it goes. And thanks to Mike and Laura for assisting with the show. If you want to listen to this show and or any of the others that we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au forward slash media forward slash radio and you will find them there. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll be back again next week. And don't forget our one-hour-long BZE show on Sister Show on Monday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.